Hello and welcome to the Digital Digest, your weekly data centers and telecoms news roundup brought to you by the teams at Capacity and Data Economy. I'm your host, Deputy Editor Melanie Mingus, and joining me today we have our Editor-at-Large, Alan Burkett-Gray, and Senior Reporters, Abigail Lapia and Natalie Bannerman. This week, we are also joined by a special guest. It's Sophia Simpson, who is going to be talking to us about the next edition of Critical Connections. Um, that's taking place on the 9th and 10th of December and following on from our COVID-related editions earlier this year, this one's going to look at greening TMT. So there's lots of interesting stuff coming up later in the episode. Um, but turning to the headlines this week, it's been another very busy week. Um, and in this episode, we are heading to Perth to hear why Equinix is spending $54 million on the first phase of a new facility. Um, meanwhile, in Africa, Orange has launched the first pan-West African fibre network, and Alan will be bringing us the latest from the AT&T board and the ongoing Huawei saga. Um, but first, Natalie, who has some breaking news to share from Orange. And Natalie, over to you. Thanks, Melanie. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, um, Orange, an exciting day for Orange, they have actually announced the launch of Orange Geliba, which is, as you mentioned, the first pan-West African fibre backbone. Now, this new uh, terrestrial fibre network actually connects the capitals of uh, Burkina Faso, um, the Ivory Coast, Ghana, Guinea, Liberia, Mali, Nigeria and Senegal, all of which are natively interconnected with their country's domestic networks, which then in turn will centralise connectivity access for operators and companies in the region. Um, Jalibra is actually also the first cross-border network as historically operators have actually had to integrate solutions of various providers and join several different networks which will then interconnect it at the borders. This new system is the first that kind of uh, crossed um, into various countries. Now, during a press conference on Tuesday morning, um, the Chief Executive Officer of Orange, Middle East and Africa, though unwilling to share the exact cost of this new infrastructure, uh, said that it costs several hundred millions of euros to build uh, this new network based on the company's annual investment of about 1 billion euros per year to, to develop its African networks. Now, the new infrastructure actually combines a terrestrial end-to-end fibre network with subsea cables for added security, resilience and redundancy. Um, it is also operated and maintained from Dakar, um, meaning that the backbone will actually benefit from greater um, efficiency, kind of responses, responsiveness and obviously pr proximity being that they are so close, as well as a dedicated uh, supervision centre. Now, in addition, um, as it is based on Orange's uh, Tier 1 network, it also provides seamless connecti connectivity to the group's international networks, meaning that um, those who are connected to the, system, um, to the network would also have um, the opportunity to um, benefit from um, all of Orange's portfolio of services in the region. Overall, uh, Julibra is comprised of about 10,000 kilometres of terrestrial fibre, coupled with another 10,000 kilometres of subsea cables, um, as well as 16 points of presence, with a grid of approximately 155 technical sites, which then connects to a further 300 points of presence across Europe, America and Asia. Uh, looking ahead, um, during the press conference, um, it, they, the panel actually said that there are two other countries that they want to share capacity with and that they are open to other countries as well. Uh, this was also supported by the Chief Executive Officer of, of Orange, Middle East and Africa, who on the topic of expanding the network actually said it will come. This is the first step and we remain open to other networks. So it will be interesting to see uh, whether or not Jaliba will be expanded outside of West Africa and where they are looking to build next. 
Interesting stuff indeed. Um, and I believe that you were um, tuned into the Orange Press Conference as well a little bit earlier when we um, heard all about this. Yes, I was I was tuning in um, and listening to the transit translations live as they were coming through. Um, it was actually a, a well put together event. But yeah, we were we were listening live from here in London. Excellent. Thanks so much, Natalie. Um, heading over to Sweden now, and Huawei has been making headlines once again. Um, now, we reported at the end of October that Sweden had banned Huawei ahead of its 5G auction, um, but now um, Huawei has taken the Swedish regulator to court. Alan, tell us more. Melanie, thank you very much. Yes, it's actually probably the first time in a year, two years of battles between Huawei and the authorities in different parts of the world that Huawei's actually decided to challenge this in the courts. Uh, PTS, which is the Swedish Post and Telecoms regulator, uh, as you said, banned Huawei, or rather banned operators who use Huawei kit from uh, applying for 5G licenses. Um, it was about, it's about to do an auction of 5G frequencies. Huawei challenged it and it won in the courts. The uh, the regulatory uh, administrative court said that uh, it couldn't you uh, in, in, couldn't enforce such a rule, um, and so PTS has decided to pause its auction uh, until this is all a little bit clearer. Um, it uh, Kenneth Frederickson, who is the executive vice president of uh, Huawei in Nordics and Central and Eastern Europe. Um, said that Huawei is not going to take any more action at the moment. Uh, it's going to cooperate with the authorities um, to try and get things straightened out. But it looks like quite a significant breakthrough. I mean, right across Europe, uh, France and Germany and other places, uh, Nokia and Ericsson have tended to get the orders for 5G equipment uh, as Huawei has been quietly uh, sidelined. The UK has told companies that they cannot install Huawei after the end of December 2020, and then has to remove it all by 2027. Um, but no one has actually challenged anything in the court so far. So this is probably quite a breakthrough for Huawei. Whether this follows up in other parts of the uh, of Europe and other parts of the world, when maybe at some point somebody will test the intelligence, so-called intelligence, which says that there is good reason for Huawei to be banned, but we don't know. It's all really happening as we speak. So, Melanie. Interesting stuff indeed. Yeah, and it's um, I like what you said there about the precedents and what this could mean for other countries um, in terms of Huawei's fight back. But um, thanks, Alan. And obviously, we can't ignore the news this week coming from the US. Um, a couple of people have some new jobs. Um, Alan, tell us what's happening at AT&T. <laughs> Well, it's a brilliant bit of timing by AT&T, as you say. Um, it's a company that's attracted the hostility of uh, President Donald Trump for years, um, partly, but not entirely, because AT&T owns CNN, uh, his least favourite news channel. Um, so uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris got over the 270 Electoral College vote line on Saturday afternoon, uh, European time, so it's probably Saturday morning in the US. And but the day before, the night before, AT&T snuck out the news that William Kennard would be the next chairman of the company. Who's he? Well, in 1997, Bill Clinton made him the chairman of the FCC, the regulator. And he's the first and so far the only African-American to hold that office. And then uh, Barack Obama made him U.S. ambassador to the European Union during Obama's term of office. 
Such jobs in the US are always intensely political. Uh, at the moment, the FCC, for example, is divided by uh, three Republicans and two Democrats. And usually the chair resigns uh, on the beginning of a new administration, uh, leaving the new president to uh, appoint someone else. So the decision and the timing of the announcement, you know, shows that AT&T is aware of what, what it was doing. Uh, Kennard is a Democrat, not a Republican. So he also uh, you know, worked for the Obama government and therefore will have a close connection with Biden, who was Obama's vice president. AT&T realized that Biden and Harris were going to win and they appointed a friend of the Democrats as its, uh, as its chairman, um, someone who could look at the new White House team in the eye. And if you doubt that, uh, that uh, Trump didn't like AT&T, this is what he posted when uh, the company announced earlier this year that Randall Stevenson was going to step down. Uh, Stevenson had been chairman and CEO. Uh, then he just became uh, chairman and will be retiring uh, in January, uh, and Kennard will be taking over. This is what Trump tweeted. Uh, great news, Randall Stevenson, the CEO of heavily indebted AT&T, which owns and presides over fake news at CNN, leaving or was forced out. Anyone who lets a garbage network do and say the things that CNN does should leave ASAP. Hopefully replacement will be much better. Well, I suspect that Kennard will not be somebody that Trump would regard as much better being a, a lifelong Democrat uh, with impeccable connections with the former Democratic Party presidents. So there we are, uh, one in the eye for Trump. Um, he's probably not on top of his list at the moment. He's got other things to worry about in the White House. But there we are, uh, AT&T, good call. Fantastic yeah. roundup. Other things for Donald Trump to worry about, well, like building a new White House that he can live in and continue to pretend to be president. Um, <laughs> I love how the karma just came back around to him on Twitter. That was great. Thank you very much, Alan. Um, and now for our data center segment. It's been another busy week um, with most of the focus falling on Asia Pacific. Um, we have heard that Colt has unveiled its largest data center in Japan. KT Corp has announced Seoul's largest hyperscale data center. And down under, it's all been happening too. We've heard that Console Connect is gearing up to offer data center services in Australia. DC2 listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. And Abigail has another headline grabber, um, this time regarding Equinix in Perth. Tell us more, Abigail. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It has been a very, very busy week um, in Asia Pacific. I don't know what's happening in the air there, but it's great for us down here. So um, Equinix has announced it's expanding its um, with a third IBX data centre in Perth. Um, the data centre is targeted to open um, in the fourth quarter of 2021. And the facility the, is 54 million for yeah. the first um, bit of the data centre, first phase, um, will be Equinix's 18th data centre in Australia. And will also speed up the movement of data between Singapore and Australia by 50% on the back of um, expected growth in digital trade between the two countries. Now, the data center facility will provide access to more than 1,045 companies, including 215 networks and 395 cloud providers. Now, Perth is becoming a strategic partner for Australia's internet um, infrastructure due to its proximity to Southeast Asia and direct connectivity via two subsea cable links, the Australian-Singapore cable and Indigo cable. 
Both cables terminate directly inside Iconix's Perth um, campus, so they have um, announced, with a third subsea cable being built um, that will connect Australia to Oman. And the company mentioned that Perth is evolving as the country's second digital gateway um, to international markets. Um, now, traditional businesses in Asia-Pacific within industries like banking and insurance, securities and trading, etc., are forecast to represent more than 25% of global private connectivity bandwidth by 2023. So that this data centre wasn't something that, you know, is a surprise. This was definitely going to be on the cards just because of the growth. Um, in March 2020, the Australian and Singapore government signed a digital economy agreement to promote digital trade between two countries, putting Perth in a position to be part of the next wave of data centre expansions with direct connectivity to Asia and global markets. It connects um, global platform now currently includes more than 220 data centres across 63 metros in total, which makes them obviously the biggest data centre um, company. Um, when Perth, when the Perth data centre facility opens, Iconics will have a national footprint of 18 IBX data centres across Perth, Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, um, Adelaide, Brisbane, all in Australia. So yeah, big, big news for um, Iconics, but not um, unexpected. Excellent. Thank you very much, Abigail. Um, and now we're going to speak with Sophia Simpson, um, who works with us here at Euromoney Broad Group. Um, now, Sophia is heading production of Capacity's newest event. It's called Critical Connections, Greening the TMT Sector. It's fully virtual and it's taking place online on the 9th and 10th of December. Um, now, Critical Connections needs no introduction. We launched the series back in April as part of the industry's pandemic response. Um, but this next edition is all about sustainability. And it's one of the first events to unite global TMT leaders to build a roadmap for green data centers and communication services. Um, Sophia, welcome to the Digital Digest. Well, thank you very much, Melanie, for inviting me to join you on the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you here. Um, and it's nice to um, it's nice to have a familiar voice joining us as well to share some fantastic news um, that's happening within the company. Um, so thank you very much for your time. Um, now we have lots of questions for you, so I hope you don't mind the grilling. But perhaps, first of all, we can start with um, behind the scenes and what's happening at the moment. Um, what's, the, what's your team working on and what surprises do you have in store for delegates next month? Absolutely. Well, we have exactly a month to go today, so we're all working extremely hard to get speakers on board, confirm sponsors and form partnerships with associations and media partners. When it comes to sustainability and ESG, cross-industry collaboration is key, and that's also the case in an events team, as you can imagine. Um, we're really excited about the engagement from regulatory bodies so far. Policy is really important in enforcing um, more accountability. Um, and so um, it's a great opportunity for the industry to work closer with government bodies and improve their impact. Um, we've also got some fascinating insights and case studies in the works, which will deep dive into specific strategies for reducing usage or reusing heat from data centers for example and so it's really exciting to see all of these innovations coming to life and really making an impact. Definitely yeah um, and why is the event happening now? Why has 2020 been chosen as the year to launch this? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> so much is going on. <laughs> 
Well, the Paris Agreement has set 2030 as the deadline for zero emissions from data centres. So we've got nine years to go and there's a lot to do. Um, and um, I think that one of the unexpected benefits of pandemic-related lockdowns this year has been a rapid drop in air pollution. Um, and this, this extraordinary circumstance has forced people to reconsider the status quo. And so there's a real opportunity for the TMT sector to play a part in building sustainable infrastructure and contributing to a more healthy world. Um, Capacity Media and Broad Group are very much part of the community and we wanted to put on an event that addresses this global issue and support our partners in pursuing a more sustainable future for the communications industry. And um, what positive outcomes are you anticipating for this event? Thanks, Abigail. Um, our intention is that attendees will come away from this event feeling inspired to take action and having a clear pathway to do so. The point is that everyone in an organisation can make a difference, no matter whether they're the CEO or whether they're a salesperson. Mm -hmm. um, and the event showcases strategies, solutions and technologies to improve efficiencies and develop a more responsible approach to building and maintaining communications infrastructure. It's an opportunity for networking with like-minded partners to align with the goal of being more eco-conscious. Critical Connections is a celebration of the progress made so far and also motivation for the industry to move forwards. Absolutely. Thanks, Sophia. Um, you know, in planning this event, you know, um, as we know, you've been speaking to a lot of companies, you know, from across the industry, you know, about how they're in reducing their environmental impact, you know, but what does the industry kind of look as far as, you know, green and sustainability initiatives? Yeah, well, I mean, the industry is constantly striving to be more sustainable. And, you know, whether it's a data center using renewable energy, using rainwater and its cooling systems, or a subsea cable operator recovering decommissioned cables, restoring the seabed, or a terrestrial network operator deploying recycled cables and using circular economy there's so much innovation and proactive operational changes happening across the board and it's worth remembering that digital infrastructure actually helps other industries to be more efficient as well. Um, household names like Telefonica, Verizon have issued green bonds and many companies are also aligning with the science-based targets initiative to set goals and quantify their progress. Yeah absolutely. And, um, you know, without wanting you to repeat yourself, of course, um, what kind of what need or I suppose demand, for lack of a better word, does this event really fill, you know, for the market, I suppose? Yeah, well, actually, we, we were quite surprised by this. But, you know, many industry events address aspects of sustainability in different niches of telecoms. But actually, there isn't a global event which covers sustainability across the gamut of communications infrastructure. As I said earlier, partnerships and a united effort is vital for change to happen. So bringing together all of the stakeholders um, to 
to cross fertilize ideas and collaborate is really what what we think is essential for progress to be made and the reason why we're doing this event. Uh, Sophia, it's Alan here. Uh, as you said to Natalie and Abigail, you've been talking to a lot of companies uh, across mm. the industry. Tell us some of the things you've been hearing from them. Are there some really exciting examples of what people are doing already? Absolutely. So, yeah, there are some, you know, renewable energy is very much um, kind of uh, a focus and also automation as a way to be more efficient. But also, I think that um, the approach to uh, waste and e-waste is changing significantly in terms of the end of life of, of networking equipment um, and servers and so on. I mean, no industry can become 100% sustainable overnight, um, but I think that um, there definitely is a lot happening in the industry. Um, and um, so we're really excited to see what happens next. Excellent. So if people are interested, which I hope they are, our listeners, uh, are you still looking for suggestions for topics or speakers and uh, who do they contact? Absolutely. I mean, we'd love to hear about any tangible use cases and examples the listeners are aware of that demonstrate specific actions that our attendees can take and learning opportunities for industry peers. If you are interested in getting involved in the event, please do contact me, Sophia Simpson, on LinkedIn. And my details are also on the event website. The event is free to attend. So register yourself and tell your colleagues and customers to. <laughs> Excellent idea. Yeah. I'm sure we'll be inundated with registrations over the next few weeks. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that has really been clear is that there's actually huge customer demand for accountability in terms of sustainability. And this is a significant driver for greening the sector. Both businesses and governments are really scrutinising supply chains. Um, and um, I think purchasing power um, is a very strong means of advocating for more responsible business practices so i think um yeah we will definitely be seeing we've seen a lot of commitments and statements about um certain companies making certain um reductions in energy usage for example and i think we'll see a lot more commitments um over the next year or so yeah, I mean, we've covered a few of those commitments um, just on this podcast, actually, in mm. recent months. There have been so many companies announcing, like, 5G digitalization um, and obviously wanting to reap the benefits of the more efficient 5G networks as well. So it's really great that this is being launched now, and I'm sure a lot of people are very excited for the 9th of December to swing around. I suppose I should say that we're working with Sophia, we on the editorial team, to to build a resource centre. So the, there will be lots yeah, of stuff yes. on the event website. Yeah. Well, I was going to talk about the magazine first. Yeah, so to yeah. support the um, to support the event, we have a special environment edition, an environment special report in the next issue of Capacity Magazine, which is a first for um, for the Capacity brand. So I think that really um, that really does signal a change in the market um, and especially across the industry globally. And I think it really highlights the um, the need and the urgency that we have to actually um, make these changes. Um, and that um, special report has got loads of different things, and Natalie's got a really cool interview coming up um, with. 
sustainability of subsea cables, not to give too much away. Um, I know that Alan's focusing on a few different people and we have some really um, high level um, CEOs and industry leaders who are also contributing to that issue. Um, and then yes, Alan, as you said, we have a resource center that's going to be supporting the event on the official event website. Um, and you're heading that, Alan, why don't you tell us a little bit more um, about the content we, we can expect and also how people can get involved and share their own thoughts and observations. Yeah, we've, we've been really, as you say, we've been writing a lot of stuff about related to this whole sector over the last uh, month or two. I mean, I suppose if you plotted it over the last year or two, it'll have gone, the incidence of relevant stories, green stories, uh, has gone up quite a lot very sharply over the last few months. We've been all much more aware of it uh, over the pandemic. Uh, as, yeah, as Sophia said a few minutes ago, you know, we are all noticed how little how much less pollution there is around at the moment my asthma has really disappeared entirely over the last few months um and we're all really becoming much more sensitive to the importance of this so we are putting together we're putting together a single uh, point at which you can see the stories that we've written in data capacity and in uh, in data economy and in capacity over the last few months and we'll be adding to them over the next uh, few weeks so send us some stories you'll find our contact details on capacitymedia.com send us some stories uh, and we'll put them up there on the uh, event page for this uh, this new event which is the 9th and 10th of december yeah Thanks, Alan. Um, and there will be links as well um, to all those different um, websites and email addresses and different people that we can contact. Um, thank you, Sophia, for joining us. That was fantastic. Um, is there anything else that you would like our audience to know? Anything else you want to share with our listeners before we um, before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's just good to be um, able to actually make a difference um, and and support the industry in in um it's it's progress to being more more environmentally friendly really it certainly is thank you so much Sophia. it's been great to have you on the show this week um and that's a wrap for episode 29 um thank you so much for listening as always we will be bringing you the latest industry news and analysis all week over at capacitymedia.com um and do keep us in the loop with your news too we will return with another episode of the digital digest next week um and in the meantime make sure you subscribe to both data economy and capacities newsletters from me and the team have a great weekend